How do you manage raising a family as a woman while also serving in C-suite level positions at multiple companies? Hi, welcome to episode 20 of Backs of All Trades podcast. And today I'm with my most esteemed guests that I've had thus far. And it's a special one. It's episode 20 because today I'm here with the woman who brought me into this world. I'm here with my mom. Hi. (laughs) I'm so glad that you decided to come on. I have floated this idea a little bit. We're currently in Santa Monica, uh, just a little son mother getaway for the weekend that you invited me to um so thank you for that my my pleasure and uh yeah so the the opening line is absolutely true we're going to cover a couple different topics today from you know raising kids and a career and the intersection between the two and since most of the people know me uh how do you actually introduce yourself to people when you're you know going into like a cocktail party or something like that Um, well, it's interesting. I'm trying to think what the elevator pitch is because it always depends on the atmosphere or the setting. Uh, but yeah, I usually lead pretty quickly that I'm the mother of twins. It's a great conversation starter. Um, people will immediately talk about their children or ask a question about raising multiples. Um, so yeah, that is, that is a key definer in who I am. Yeah. So speaking of that, I want to go into the first question, uh, which is that a lot of people will look towards me or my brother and uh, me online. People will basically ask, how did your parents do this? Like, how did your mom do this? How did your dad do this? Because, you know, you raised two twin boys. We're now 24 years old and we seem to have turned out all right. And I think the question that so many parents have is because there is no one way to parent. Um, and yet a lot of people will look at you and think that you did it right. And so what were some of the things that you think contributed to that? I would say we did well so far because you're never done. <laughs> That's true. I'm going to say you're never done. Um, you do switch from being a manager. I feel like I managed your life. I, I controlled your life. I felt very responsible for it um, to now I'm a consultant for you. Um, I don't manage you when you bring me problems. Um, I can only consult you on them, listen to you, provide options, help you think through them. Um, so that's a big switch. I'm never done, but my role has certainly changed from being, um, a day-to-day supervisor and manager to merely a consultant. Yeah. Uh, as far as when we're, when you were more involved in the, the day-to-day life, I think that, you know, a lot of kids will turn out to either be brats or feel underprepared for the world, uh, are there any things that you remember that you very consciously decided to do with my brother and I that uh, contributed towards us maybe having more autonomy or being more, uh, you know, just well-adjusted for the world? Um, I would say one of the biggest things that I think I did well, I didn't know it at the time. So let me be real clear with everybody. I didn't read a book. I didn't know what to do. I tried things and when they did not seem to yield a result that was positive or helping you, I would pivot and change. Um, But one thing that really helped was the, um, the dinners every night. I think that's important. It doesn't have to be a fancy dinner. Um, It can be the chicken fingers and the macaroni and cheese, but sitting at dinner um, as many nights as you can um, was a big, um, a big step in getting the communication of the family going and giving an opportunity for us to always talk and check in on a regular basis. Um, The next thing I would say that I benefited from, that we all benefited from, 
is setting up a communication channel. You don't know what you're going to talk about with your kids, particularly when they become preteens and teenage boys. Um, or girls. Or girls. Yeah, definitely. I guess either one, for sure, just kids and teenagers. They don't bring you the problem the second it happens. They ruminate on it for a while, and they decide if they want to bring it up. Um, or they just have to wait for that right moment. Who knows when that's going to be? So I think the setting up a communication channel, um, I'm reading Jay Shetty's book right now, and in there he talks about location has memory. And so if it's, we always go on a certain walk in the afternoon and we have dinners, and then I used to always lie in your bed at night and it would just lie there for bedtime and just be quiet. It's just a channel you open. You may use it, you may not, but you would start learning those are the times I know I'm going to bring stuff up. Or if you're in the mood, you know, it's a safe space because, you know, we normally talk at that time and it's OK. So I would say setting up communication channels throughout the life of whatever um, is important. Because you don't know when you're going to talk, you don't know when your kids are going to talk, but you want to know you've provided the opportunity. Absolutely. And I think that another thing that you guys did, and I'll give you a compliment on this, you specifically, is that uh, it didn't feel like there was judgment involved. And a lot of people, when they think about going to tell their parents something, they yeah. won't tell them because they think that they'll be judged or punished immediately, regardless of what the thing is. And so they'll close down those channels of communication. So I'll say I use that at work, too. You control what information someone brings to you by the way you react to it. And so I use that in work. If so, if you explode every time you're told bad news, they you become the person where they fix the problem before they bring it to you and, or they try to. And a lot of times your kids will float an idea by their friend, Jesse, my, you know, that old my friend in therapy work, you know, that people talk about. But they'll say, oh, Jesse, um, you know, broke his cell phone and hasn't told his parents and he failed the test. And then they're like they're floating it when it's really them. And if you go, well, Jesse should be beaten to a pulp and never get another phone. They're not going to tell you. So you've got to go, wow, I bet Jesse's having a hard time with that and coach your kid through that situation. Um, but I think they have to know. One, when they're teenagers, you mean it when you say, you can call me, I will come get you. But if you're like, no judgment, but then you yell at them all the way home and punish them, there's judgment and they know that. Um, you always want to be, I always wanted to be the, the mom and the dad that got called when you're in trouble and you knew that. Um, so I think that's too, and you got demonstrated, you were in a neighborhood one time where can't explain how this happened, but y'all rolled over a friend's foot and you <laughs> went to go get ice from a neighbor. And we were in a high full, uh, affluent area, but you were teenagers in hoodies and you went and knocked on the door and the neighbor came out with a gun. Um, it was a very scary situation, but you came to us and told us and then we figured out what to do next. Um, so I think, yeah, you control what the kids will tell you. They're going to get in trouble. If you want to help them, you've got to show that you're willing to help them. Yeah, I think all of that is is great. And it makes sense now. Obviously, I don't think that you had it meticulously designed throughout our childhood. No. But clearly there was um, some organization, some big pillars that you guys focused on. And looking back, it obviously served us very well. Um, kind of in that same vein, a, a lot of people 
because uh, I'm the one with the platform right now that people are watching this on think, okay, what, what comes from mom? Like what, what, uh, from these qualities are things that I, you think that I inherited from you. Um, and then maybe some from dad or what just kind of spawned, you know, I think that I am my own entity to a, at least to some degree. So I can be, I want to be straight up that, um, you know, you've mentioned it before, but you come from a, a two parent family. I couldn't do it without my husband. So nowhere in this is, is there some advice a single mom could take, but I want to be real clear. Um, I did travel for work. I was very busy with work, but we always were syncing up who's home. And while we did get help with you guys and, and made sure someone could bring you home from soccer practice, there was a parent in the house. And so I had help. So that, I want to be sure of that. And then I was asking you like, well, what did you get from your dad? And <laughs> What did you say? Well, first I said academics. My dad uh, currently works in academia. He's worked in academia his entire career. And um, so academics has always been incredibly valuable and important in the family. And so I've always put a lot of uh, pressure, but honestly worthwhile pressure to focus on education. <laughs> but then the second one was also just generally like how to be a good person. <laughs> so I didn't take offense to that. At first I did. It was like, oh, he learned how to be a good person from his dad. Um, but I think those were the pillars, right? The pillars came from dad and they were, I agreed with them, but he drove them and it will, you will not lie. You will not, um, you know, Cheat, gamble. Steal. You were yeah. gambling for a while and we yeah. were worried, not that we judge gambling, but you were not at the age to do that. Um, and be a good person. Um, those rules are great, right? They're very hard and, and fast and, and pillars that we go, but life is life and you have to learn to navigate um, and there's nuance and how do you apply it? And I think that's where I came in was you would bring to me, I know this was, you know, something dad would be black and white on, but I need to discuss it. And I'm over there, you know, there's a lot of gray and there's light gray, dark gray, steel gray, smoke gray, not 50 shades of gray, but a lot of gray. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that's where the mom part would come in. It's like, let's talk about the problem. And it's not so binary, but. I was able to build off of that because he had the pillars very strong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, I think that makes sense. And then what what are some things uh, about me that you think kind of uh, neither you nor dad expected or uh, anything that is just purely Carter? <laughs> um, well, there's so much that's purely you. So that's one thing that was great with twins is you realize how much nature nurture you guys were talk about you know, a control group and experiment. You ate the same food, you wore the same clothes, you had the same lunch instrument, you slept in the same bed till you were in high school. Um, everything, same parents, same dog, you know, everything was the same and you were totally different. <laughs> um, so that was a very humbling thing, especially for me knowing as a parent, there's only so much, right, that I was actually affecting. Um, I would say something that was unique to you was... And you've worked through it now, but um, you're highly indecisive as a kid. And I, what I mean by that is you tried to optimize everything. Oh, if I go to Jake's house, I'm going to miss practice. And if I miss practice, I won't play well on Friday. But I really want to go to Jake's house because they have a pool and they're going to go go-karting. And you just couldn't make a decision. And you couldn't just, you, you were indecisive. And a friend of ours, um, who's to this day has known you since you've grown up, Denise. And 
when she came to visit, you were about five years old. And I always said, if you want to see something fun, let's go to the dollar store. And to go to the dollar store and tell Carter, here's a dollar, pick anything you want. He would be in tears on the ground before before we left the store because he couldn't decide. He couldn't decide. Um, and your twin brother would go right over there, pick a toy and be at the register and let's let's bounce. And you were just like, I can't decide. <laughs> I, uh, I think that uh, I, I remember those days. I mean, because it did extend through to middle school. I don't remember exactly the dollar store days, but uh, it, it's something that, yeah, I had to work through on my own. And you, again, gave me essentially the the guardrails so I wouldn't fall off on either deep end, which I think is what a lot of parenting really is. Uh, but now I'm someone who, yeah, has uh, come to essentially my own way of making decisions, which is if it's a big decision, gather as much data as possible. If it can't be reversed, wait until you absolutely have to make a decision, which is something that I got from dad as well. But if it's something that is really kind of menial and either irreversible or just really doesn't have that much importance, make a decision, move on with your life because indecisiveness I've learned is a, not something that I want to have in my life that much. I'll bounce ahead a little bit on the work side and just say that applies to for me and my work as well. You've got to be willing to work with 80% of the data and go. If you wait for 100%, your your opportunity for making decisions and and um, exploring things reduces as you get more information. So you've got to be willing to make it and go. And I think helping you get through that was, you know, you have enough, make a decision. <laughs> yeah. All right. If you guys can hear some happiness and shrieks in the background, we are currently at our hotel and two young girls are playing in the pool at the age that Calvin, my brother and I used to play in the pool and they're doing the same things we did. So it's it's a joyous background noise. Hopefully don't be alarmed. I'm glad to hear you say joyous. It is for me. Um, I Yeah, that's great. I was, you know, raising kids. You got to There's noise. There's um, all the stuff that goes with it. And you just work through it and keep rolling. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, the next thing that I want to ask is, I think that a lot of parents, particularly today, who have kids, I'll say 16 to 20, um, kind of you, you're maybe thinking about college. There's a lot of uh, things that you have to navigate in that realm. What, what is some advice you would give to parents for kids in that range? Navigating college. Uh, the, the anticipation of college, getting ready for college, um, because I think that uh, specifically young men today, a lot about what I talk about on my platform is a lot of the bad advice um, that is given towards that cohort of people specifically. And um, a lot of people think, well, OK, he didn't as an I didn't fall down that trap. So what are the things that you would recommend towards uh, those parents to try and get through to, for example, I'll make it more specific, a teenager who says, I don't want to, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I just want to make a lot of money. I don't care how I get it. I don't care how I do it. I'm not going to do the traditional college route. I'm not going to waste four years of my life. I'm, I'm just, I'm going to become an entrepreneur and listen to Joe Schmo who I found online. Okay. So unpacking that there's a lot of things in there. One, if it's, I just want to make a lot of money. You got to back that up years. Cause if you've raised them to think money is all there is, then that's something to counteract a little earlier money isn't everything um you know learning to have fun with sticks which doesn't exist anymore no one does that but learning to have fun without all the toy toys telling them 
giving them an identity of who your family is. We're not the family that goes to Aspen every week, you know, every spring break and goes skiing. That's not who we are. And letting you know, my family does X, and this is my tribe, and this is who we are. And I think that's important for them to have an identity. Um, being prepared, I'll talk about being prepared for college and getting ready for being independent. Um that starts way earlier, too. So all this feeds earlier. I remember when you started middle school, seventh grade, and I made the statement, the big rule, that I was no longer on seventh grade year going to take your trumpet, your homework, your lunch, your track uniform to school to you anymore if you forgot it. Now, Sunday night was very important. Get Help you get ready. We would help you prepare for the week. What do you need? But you needed to prepare your backpack and get ready for school the next day and have your trumpet by the door. If you forgot it, it's gone for the whole day. Um, And that was really hard because I think it was the very first week of that first year when we did that. And it was you or your brother, not important, but the homework is sitting on the dining room table and I'm staring at it, getting the phone call. I left my homework, not taking it to you Um, to learn the consequence, to learn there's value in packing it. But, that's at 12, you know, you don't start teaching how to do your laundry, how to be responsible for yourself at 17, right before they go to college. Yeah, no, I think that's great advice. Um, I want to pivot a little bit because obviously you were a phenomenal mother, um, but you have so much more to you. And the big question that I think a lot of women have is that you've had a wildly successful career. And yet we just have been talking about how present and how much you did in our childhood. And a lot of people think, well, I have to pick between family or career. And yet you did both. How? So, you know, the, I think it's a myth to say you can have it all one. You cannot have it all. Um, you can have it all, but just not at the same time. And I think that's real important. Um, you can, there are times where it's all family and there's times where it's all work. Um, and so you don't balance it out day to day. You don't balance it out week to week. You got to balance it out with the kids and over time and over, over the career. Um, when I'm going to go back to that middle school year, because that was such an important time. You were learning to be men. You know, I know you're only 12, but that was 12 and 13. That's where you're, you're going to either, I'm going to lose you because you're going to go off and find your, your path, or I'm going to help guide and be part of that. That year I took off and was home. And um, now at the end of that year, when I told you guys I was going back to work, everyone was thrilled because they're like, I had over-organized the book club. The homeowner association did not appreciate my value lanes. <laughs> I was just, I needed to leave, but that time was important. Um, so I would, you know, I can go into my career, but that's not so important to this conversation as in there are things I could have gotten had I been more career driven at the right meeting at willing to do certain things. One example is I was asked to, I was part of an exec team and it was, you know, a very large uh, company and I was C-suite and they wanted Monday morning meetings, which meant I was on a plane Sunday night and I quit that company. Main driver for me to do the exit was I wanted to be home on Sunday nights for you guys. Um, 
that was a stop. You know, what else could I have done had I stayed around in that job and promoted and promoted? Um, what opportunities? I don't do the sliding doors on that. It's just it was the right thing for the family. And from that, I started my own business. Um, and it turned out to be great. It's wildly successful. I'm very happy about that. Um, but that also gives me the flexibility of of blending family into it. I, I like the you can't you can't have it all just not at the same time because I think that when a lot of people hear that choosing career or family, um, like with a lot of things, they don't apply nuance to anything and they think it's a binary, right? You either get yeah, the family yeah. or you get the career. Will your career partially quote unquote suffer or could you have done different things, right? More things, mm -hmm. more career. If you, again, never got married and never had kids, of course you could have, right. right? But it's about choosing what's important to you and maximizing as many of those buckets as you can. Right. In that same vein, which I think we kind of got into a little bit, uh, I think that there's a different pressure and a different expectation from women in the workforce, particularly when it comes to when you're around that childbearing age or when you actually decide to become pregnant and have kids and they're essentially infants. And so uh, how did you navigate essentially being like the new mother when it is at that for like a 28, 29 year old woman who is will ready to start a family, but is currently in their career? So it's up to the people you work with as much as is up to you, unfortunately. Um, when I first told a certain group of people that I was thinking of starting a family, I got the response of, well, you know, we'll miss you, meaning you're out. Um, and then I had another group when I actually had you, um, you know, once the kids were born, you guys were born, they were so supportive and really, really helpful with it. Um, I think the... You know, it's more of you got to work to find the people who are supportive of it and and work with that. But it is harder because I, I would be in meetings and try to dial down the idea of the family, not make it a, a prominent thing. And, you know, it, it's still hard today. But I'll tell you back in, you know, 24 years ago, 20 years ago when you were like four, you know, I was the in all my positions, I've been the only female. So I'll start with that. Um, the first firm, the only female. The second firm, the only female. Only on the only female in the C-suite. Um, and then a guy would say, oh, I got to leave early. You know, uh, Jacob's in a baseball game. All the women go, oh, he's going to the baseball game. And then all the men would be like, oh, what sport? What does he play? What field? Or baseball game, what sport? But, you know, what position? And... You know, if I'd be like, oh, I got to go pick up the kids from a game. They're like, well, will you finish your work? Will you be back? Are you going to be available tomorrow? And you just don't get that charm and that excitement that all the men seem to get when, oh, he's a family man. That's so awesome. And with a woman, it's expected. So there's a level of, of course, you got to go pick up your kids, you know. And so I found that hard um, and made me gauge how much I shared the family into the workplace. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that a, a lot of my advice is kind of not how should we all live in the idealized world if everything were fair, but really what are the tools that I can help equip you with given the system and the rule set that we actually play under, right? It probably shouldn't, it probably shouldn't no, work that way. It shouldn't. Um, but Absolutely. if you were to tell, if you were, if you had a, a mentee who was a woman going through that, you'd probably yeah. give her the advice that would be the most effective for her. 
So I would say own it, right? It's back to the to the how much you share and disclose, but, you know, besides having a picture behind your desk of your children. Um, but if you remember, I took you to where I worked and you were climbing around my office at certain points. Um, but the regret would be other situations where I didn't know people. The phone would ring. I know it's kid related. And I would act like it wasn't. I would say, oh, I need to go take this and never share what it is. Um, I think that's a disservice for the women behind me. Um, is the way I played it because my strategy was dial it down in the workplace, um, but be available for my kids. But I took that burden on myself. You know, if I needed to have a big call with you guys and you were very frustrated and I had to be a super mom, I would go get in the car and do it. Um, that's not fair. And it's just the way I felt I managed it. Yeah. No, I think that's great advice. Um, the next kind of area I want to talk about really is related to your career because we alluded to it already and you've mentioned it a number of times. Um, I want you to give at a high level your career journey, but I think you should maybe go into depth because of the people who watch me. They're mainly that uh, college coming out of college. And I think that basically looking at someone way deep in their career, they might've assumed that you were at the big firm right after graduation. And so the maybe go into depth at the very beginning of your career and then as much detail as you want to go into for the progression of your career. Um, it's an interesting start. So I did industrial engineering at where you went at Georgia Tech. Um, so came out with a great degree. However, when I interviewed for a job, so I chose marriage right off the bat, not recommending that for everybody at 22 years old. Um, but at that time, you know, your dad and I, it, we were living apart. It was a way to get together, and he was the right one for me. Um, so we got married, moved to across the country, and I'm interviewing, and no one knew my school at the time. It wasn't that well known, and it was very hard to get a job, and I got a job I hated, absolutely hated. Um, the compromise there was I got the marriage that I wanted, I didn't get the job that I wanted. I didn't interview across the country and pick the very best job for me. I picked the man and then made the job work. My point on that is you, you, it doesn't matter the order. You can still eventually get where you need to get. Because I did work my way through that company, get in the right department, and then leave there and go to a consulting firm. Um, so I just think you need to... The pass won't be one, two, three. It's one, five, seven, three, four. And um, life's long. And so I think if you're true to yourself, you'll eventually. Yeah, I think that I talk all the time about trying to get younger people specifically to broaden their time horizons. Because I think a lot of people, even a lot of our friends who are trying to land consulting jobs, oh, it's the big four or bust. And they put so much of their ego and everything as their first job out of college. If they don't land a top one, they're a failure, which I think is a ridiculous attitude. But I get it at the time. That is up until your point. That is the biggest step. But obviously, hopefully you'll have a 20, 30, 40 year career. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to hear the progression, though, from. OK, so it's. So in the job that I hated, I was doing engineering, just strip paint off of an F-16 radome. It was doing a robot to do that. It was pure engineering, AutoCAD, um, did not enjoy it. I like people, I like working with people. So then I got moved over to working with what now is so common to me, but it was a warehouse management system for a Federal Express facility and helping them implement it. What I loved is it was people 
training them on how to set up the warehouse. It was impactful. Stuff's moving. It was very physical. Logistics is physical. And that's what I do is logistics and supply chain. So I enjoyed it. And then I climbed from there, um, joined a firm um, and rose up, become the, became their president and CEO. I got hired off to California to take another logistics firm, their president and CEO, and then um, stayed all in logistics and supply chain. And then a 3PL hired me to be their CIO. Um, and we took them from a domestic footprint into 17 countries while I was there. Um, as the CEO, I was very proud of that. It was I learned a ton. I learned more um, from that, and then did my own. Yeah. I, uh, before we dive into some of those even more, I want to hear about um, going because a lot of people want to move vertically in their careers, and that's something that you did, uh, obviously in a somewhat quick fashion for a lot of people. And so I'm wondering what, what you would give advice to people who feel really driven. They want to, again, move up the corporate ladder, anything that you think played to your strengths there. Well, I'm going to talk to women yeah, for a second please. here. <laughs> um, the one thing that I think holds people back in general, but women do is the keeping score. I didn't get that because I was a woman. I didn't get put on the team that got to go to the big conference because I was a woman. Um, I didn't keep score. I think that I there was as many things that happened to my benefit because I was a woman as a detriment. But I don't know because I didn't do the scoring. And if you think of a runner running a, a, a sprint race, they can't look sideways to see what's going on around with the other runners and they can't look behind them because it slows them down. You go. And so I didn't keep score and look around and try to figure out what everyone else was doing. You just run your race and, and do the best you can. Um, you know, I'm sure I there's a industry board. I have no doubt I got put on the board because uh, I was a female because they looked for balancing it out. I became president of the board because I'm good. And that's happened to me probably three times on three boards. Um, and these could be industry peer related, but I get put on them. It balances the quota, the ESG requirements. I become president because I can demonstrate it, um, quality and, and aptitude. So I think don't worry about why you got somewhere. And there's times you didn't get on things. Just keep running forward and don't slow yourself down by looking left and right and behind. I think that is such phenomenal advice. And I, I, I don't think that's necessarily just for women uh, because I think that everybody is in charge of their own life. And I think that it is, a, and I don't blame a lot of people because if you're told you are being held back because of this identity that you ascribe yourself to or that identity, you can then look to that as a crutch or as something else. Um, but if you say, yes, you know, there's a lot of things that make me me. Some people will judge me for them. Some people will discriminate against me for them. But the only thing I can do is operate and work to my best of my abilities. Uh, then I think that that's sort of like going away from the victim mentality a, a little bit, which if anything, you know, I think that you are incredibly strong. And actually, I think that there's probably times where maybe you could even show more weakness than you allow yourself to. But um, you're someone who definitely, especially in the corporate world, does not show weakness. Yeah. Um and it's not that weakness is wrong. It's just, I think it's, why not go do it? And if you got 80% of the data, go do it. And, um, 
it's definitely not a fake it till you make it. I don't think that. I think it's just you'll figure it out, keep going, and have confidence in yourself. And a lot of people look to be led. And if if you can step up and help that, then you then you should. That's great. Um, yeah, because while we were on the topic a little bit, I don't know if you have anything else particularly on women navigating the workforce. You talked on it already a, a decent amount, but if uh, you think that there's that's just something I can't even empathize with something that uh, you would maybe recommend towards young women. I made a video recently um, talking about navigating from talking with you and all these other things about particularly the less sultry side of uh, yeah. men basically might try and, you know, make an advance on you that then you reject and it never goes to HR because they didn't actually do anything technically wrong, but then they don't put you up for promotion and they don't tell you why and all of these other things. So how would you re recommend navigating the very unfair parts of the workforce that women do unfortunately have to face? Okay. So I want to be real clear on this. This is not dealing with me too, because the woman whose job and her salary is dependent on the guy who made an advance on her that's important. I don't want to touch that because it's such a critical, important issue. And I don't relate to that. Yeah. Meaning I'm not in that position. Yes. If someone made an advance, an unwanted advance, well, they should all be unwanted in work. Right. But made an unwanted advance. The best thing was with humor to diffuse it because it allows him to the next day banter it off. If you act like you didn't see it as a big affront, but like, you know, oh, you wish too much to drink tonight. See in the morning, okay, and leave. Just the situation of being at dinners where there's um, a lot of drinking going on. Um, back in the day, there was a lot of clubbing that would go on when men are on travel. Um, you don't want to be, you know, part of that. Um, but how do you get out of it gracefully to not make them feel judged? Oh, she's such a prude. Oh, she won't go. She's not one of us. Um, but I think luckily that part's changed a lot in culture now. Um, I, in years, have not been in settings where I'm a part of a group where the men split off and go to the clubs. Um, I think luckily for the women coming up now, that's, I, I hope that's gone away. Yeah, I think that uh, in general, the world has changed a lot. And I think that um, beyond just that, I think that more and more women are getting into positions of power and that will also kind of change what is normalized just by a lot of young girls have a you to look up to in, in the space that um, maybe previously would have to be a, a male figure. And again, like I, I agree, uh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned at the beginning, if there's any kind of power dynamic involved, that's just plain right. wrong never should be, you know, touched right. completely unacceptable from the get. There's important though, to stay, you can still stay feminine though. And oh yeah. I would like to hear about I this. Would say, you know, I, I enjoy being a female. I enjoy the feminine side of it and I wear high heels, not today. Um, but I enjoy that in meetings. It's just part of the look I, I, I appreciate in business. And this is to the younger girls coming up of uh, something I wish I'd done differently. Um, we were in New York again, only female, only one in heels. And we are leaving the meeting and we're late and we're going to go to another meeting, another dinner, whatever it is, uh, you know, a couple blocks away, several blocks away. And it's raining and we're not going to be able to get a taxi and no Ubers at that time. Um, so everyone decides they're going to run and they're like, well, if we hoof it, they're forgetting about me. I mean, I'm standing right there, but they're just like, oh, if we hoof it, we can get down to 7th Street. And I ran with them 
in high heels across the subway gates in New York in the rain and the subway, you know, grates and the sidewalk have holes in them. You can't put your heel down because you'll break it off. So I'm running on my toes for blocks. Looking back, I should have said, run, tell them I'll be there in a little bit and I'm taking a taxi or I'll figure it out or I'm going to have a drink here and I'll join you later. And I guarantee you every one of them would have been, yeah, we'll wait. But I didn't step up for myself to do that. And none of them would have made their wives run. And because I set myself to be such an equal, I will run with them. And I'm like, you don't have to be equal in gender. And I'm like, I should have, I should have stood up and said, I'm a female. I'm not running seven blocks in high heels. And that was stupid. And I encourage any woman to stand up for herself like that and, and tell the guys, that's not going to fly. Yeah. Well, I've, I've never even heard that story. <laughs> you mentioned starting your own business. Um, this is what you've been doing for the majority of your career now. Yep. And uh, I want to hear a little bit about your story of starting uh, your company, growing it, and then additionally lessons that you've learned about being your own boss and entrepreneurship. Cause I know a lot of people out there are aspiring entrepreneurs. Um, you got to figure out what motivates you. And if it's money, it ain't going to work. I'll start right there. Um, I am motivated. My happy place is working on a communication tool. It can be a presentation, a speech, something where I am helping communicate an idea, a solution, a sales pitch, whatever it is to another group of people. And that's where I'm happy. So I love that. And I'm in a business where that sells. So I get paid for that. Um, if it were just for the money, it wouldn't be worth it. And you never get yourself motivated to do it. So it's truly, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. So the business, I make sure I take on projects that are what I am jazzed about. Um, big things that made it work is stay poor for a really long time. Um, I now have enough money banked. Um, where I make all the decisions for the business based on the right things for the business, right things for the, picking the right client, um, you know, comping the right expenses, not billing them over to a client, those types of things that make you look classy and work well and not desperate. That's because I have money banked. Um, so if you get richer, don't, you know, as the money, as the business makes more money, bank it first. Um, so you have that independence. Yeah. Uh, and then as far as actually remaining relevant in a competitive career, there's so much, uh, there's so much failure involved, right? There's so much no's there's so many. And so a lot of people, I think they, the idea of entrepreneurship and being your own boss is so, uh, luxurious or it's painted to be that way. And yet you have people on your payroll who rely on you. And so I'm wondering if you have any advice on either profiling yourself to see whether it's right for you or advice for actually going through a lot of those no's and yeah. pushing forward. Well, it comes back to confidence and knowing that rejection's part of it, right? If you're, if you're in a regular job, your rejections are your reviews at the end of the year. And that's why people who haven't gotten them have trouble handling them because they don't get feedback often. I get feedback all the time. <laughs> but when someone asks me, how, how's your business? What are you working on? I tell them, these are the clients. These are the cool projects. And I make a, a story about that. 
because it's really boring to say, let me tell you how many I lost this week. Well, how's your business? Well, I lost this one. I lost this one. I lost this one. That's not a good conversation for, for general, but that exists. And I've got to be willing to told no, be told no. And you don't have to learn from everything. Yo, know, you learn or you grow. And no, sometimes it just sucks. Sometimes you just lose. And but you got to be able to pick yourself up, dust off and, and keep going and know that's part of it. So if you don't deal with rejection well, if your confidence is all based on winning and succeeding, if you're competitive to a nature of fault where you're willing to take too huge a risk, it's not it's not for you. You've got to bring a really level head to it. Um, and then your support group. I go back to, I sit here and I'm very proud of everything we're talking about. Um, you know, behind me is the biggest supporter ever, which is your dad and, um, having that and being able to talk to him about, he hears the ones I lost. He hears when it hurt. Um, he hears when you gave a presentation and the main people who were supposed to go didn't show up. Um, so all that exists and it just, it looks so glamorous because you don't ever lead with that when someone asks, how's it going? Yeah, no, I think that's all very important for people to hear. And I think, uh, the other thing is, uh, there is so much comfort that you lose. Uh, and I, even just seeing, I mean, luckily, you know, I, I both my parents work, by the way, I know we've mentioned my dad a couple of times. He also works and, um, there is some stability in a nine to five stable yeah. job that the salary comes, whether you're sick, whether you're on vacation, yes. whether you're on and all of those things. And a lot of people don't realize that when that goes away, right, you become a lot more like the whole, you have to hunt for your own food is very true. And that is for some people, yeah. but for a lot of people, it's not. And they think that becoming an entrepreneur will somehow be easier because they see the, again, the end of the yeah, tunnel, the, no. the guy who's already retired, sold his business. Yes. And they're like, I want that life. And they yeah. don't see all the work that it took in the middle. Right. I, it was when I left, when I was like a, a leader and owner into the company where I did get a paycheck at W2, I remember, and it just floored me when it happened. It's such a small story, but we took a flight. The flight was late. We get in at two in the morning. When you're the owner of your business, when you're a leader in that, you get in at two in the morning, you're still there at 8 a.m. If the client is expecting breakfast with you at 7.30 and you got to prep and present at eight, it doesn't matter. They don't care what time you got there. You, you show up. And when I was in the business, we got in at two in the morning. Everyone called in the next day. Oh, we got in late. And that was enough of an excuse. The reason we didn't, we missed the staff meeting and we're not going to be there for the IT review. And we'll be in around noon. I'm like, you could do that. <laughs> <laughs> and so there is a, a comfort that comes with that, that you can get by having the guaranteed schedule, paycheck, um, responsibility. I want to ask sort of one more question. Um, this has been really good, but obviously, you know, we've talked about sort of two of your identities, you know, mm -hmm. you're a mom, a, it's a very successful businesswoman. Um, but there is the third one, which is that you're just a, a person who's now lived, uh, a, enough life to have a wealth of experiences. What would you tell your younger self mm -hmm. about your life now? That's going to be really hard. Um, but it's, it's, you know, I'm going to start with a, a comment and I'll get back to that. Um, it's, 
you can't compare yourself. And everyone hears it all the time. Don't compare, don't compare. I, I think one of the questions that you were telling me to prep for was how do I deal with being an empty nester, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't have to deal with it. You guys went two miles away. <laughs> well, you followed me 800 miles, okay, two miles away. <laughs> but yes, we were in New Mexico. They got into Georgia Tech and the whole family moved. <laughs> and my husband got a job at Georgia Tech and I moved my business there. So yes, we followed our children to college, um, which might tell you a lot about us, but they were two miles away. You were two miles away. You were home twice a week, come home from Sunday dinners. Um, and then COVID happened and you were home, home. So I didn't deal with that. I didn't deal with that. I saw you Thanksgiving. Oh, you stayed for Thanksgiving because you had finals and I didn't see you till Christmas. So someone could go, well, she had it easier, you know? Okay. Let's back up years before that. Um, on my birthday, we had a tragedy where we had a car wreck and in that car, Everyone either went to the hospital or went to heaven. So that was a tragedy we dealt with that affected me. I was working and that changed everything for us. No one knows about that now, but that was a a defining moment for us. It was very, very hard and hard for me to decide how does, you know, do I stay home and coddle you for the rest of the life of your life because we went through such pain and I'm going to grip or am I going to build a strong life again? And so you can't compare the people who would compare me then. It was trauma, it was tragedy, or compare me now. It was so easy. They're so blessed. I'll look at them. Um, don't compare because you don't know what happened. And, you know, it's there are certain parts that we sailed through in my life and that were phenomenal. I'm so glad you guys are in college and healthy and happy. You're doing well. Um, your, you know, brother's going off to med school. We look perfect. Or not. And um, again, like I don't tell you the projects I lose. That tough story when someone goes, oh, tell me about your life. I don't start with a tragedy. And so it's no, everyone has that. And don't compare. Just get through your life and, and work with that. And that's the thing with social media and people's kids and posting them with all their awards. And you see the kid, he got a diving scholarship and this, that and the other. You don't know if that kid's dealing with an eating disorder and it's just, you don't know what they're dealing with. So don't make perfect your goal, make happy your goal and content. And then I think it makes it easier. Yeah. I think I, I see that a lot. Um, cause a lot of people will compare themselves to me on my social media, whether it was my grades or my job or all that stuff. And I'm, it's not the point of what I'm trying to get across. And so I always feel somewhat guilty when I do that because exactly I am, and I try to do show more of myself than maybe some other people, but I am understand that this is the highlight reel. All of it's the highlight reel. And so you cannot compare yourself to my highlight reel because I also have dealt with a lot of stuff. And And who wants to watch that? Exactly. I can tell you stuff that would go on the other way. Exactly. Um, But yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I didn't know you when you were young. Um, so I do want to hear what you would tell, but it, it, I can take a guess, which is that um, you're, you're a fighter. You've always been a fighter. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you have exact, like in the face of everything have constructed the life that other people look at and perfect is perfect, yeah. but it means more that it isn't perfect because yeah. that means that you, you built that out of everything that you, the hands you were dealt that when, mm-hmm. you know, knocks you down, knocks you down again. And yet you still, uh, construct the life that, you know, yeah. you were ready for, but yeah. 
Yeah, we. I mean, I built the business back. That happened in a 2000 and whatever. It doesn't matter. But it was years ago. As soon as I got the business back to where it every, everything needed to be, your brother got really sick. And he was in the hospital for 100 days, but not consecutively. So it wasn't like one time a trauma. It was in and out, in and out, like five surgeries. Out of all that time, I was the one sleeping beside him. And it's just, it's times where did the work suffer? Yes. You know, did I not again get a big account? Maybe. Um, but it didn't matter because what mattered at that time was the family and your sick brother and making that work and then worrying about you, right? There's a, when you have children, there's the, do you feel guilty? Cause he gets all the attention and that you have to challenge deal with that too. So all that comes in. So how do you, you can't have it all at the same time at that point in time, was I doing podcasts and writing stories and, you know, giving speeches on logistics and supply chain? No, no. I was in a same clothes I'd worn for 10 days <laughs> at the hospital. So it's one where no one was interviewing me then. Um, so don't make this the measurement. Yeah, no, I think that's great advice. And uh, we're, we're right at the hour mark. Um, to, la- to, to end on a high note, um, we're having a phenomenal time in LA together. Uh, we're probably going to go get some delicious food after this at somewhere, you know, I don't know where yet. We'll, we'll decide. And to say how this worked, right? I had work on Friday and then work on uh, Monday here in LA. We live in Atlanta. And so how, what great way to use Saturday and Sunday. I could fly back home and fly back. And it's like, ah, you know, Carter moved away to San Francisco. So it was like, let's spend two days together. And so finding that time, you know, all of our meals have been super cheap. We're not doing, we haven't spent any money other than the hotel. Um, And went and worked out at Equinox today. I got to go on his membership. Um, So I think it's finding those times to stay connected, which goes back to the communication channels, keep them open, force them to be open and um, then you'll find the right time to use them. Absolutely. Uh, thank you guys so much for watching. Mom, thanks so much for coming on the show. I love you so much. And uh, make sure to like, comment, subscribe if you're on any podcast platform. This was a bit more of, a, I think you would have benefit from the visual of this episode. So maybe go to my YouTube channel. And uh, as always, thanks again. I will see you all in the next one. Bye.